that was basically a huge change. Not a lot of people saw that coming. We were in early on yeah, it, and the Bakken I mean, Shale. yeah, real yeah, early, and just absolutely crushed it in fr- hydraulic fracturing. You know, oil oil sands technology, but mainly like yeah, the Bakken um, and like the natural gas plays. Yep. So, I mean, is it fair to say this is? very similar to I that so. sort of things because it's like all you hear is oh, we need all this lithium to, yep. to run these things blah 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 blah, blah. Um, so it seems like now's the time to get I mean, in on like basically this is like new frack like this is fracking for lithium I it, guess it, it sort of is and honestly I think it could be bigger than that because like the one extra thing that you have tied onto this is that not only does it make lithium mining more efficient and more profitable but it also makes it more um, econ- or, uh, environmentally friendly. Welcome to the Angel Research Podcast. My name is Jason Freert. I'm here with another Jason. There's a lot of Jasons around uh, Angel. It's a good strong Jason. Name. Jason Williams. <laughs> um, thanks for joining us today, Jason. Yeah, of course. Uh, I want to jump me. right into it. We were just talking about dividends. We were. Right? We were. And, uh, you know, last week or maybe it was two weeks ago, I had a conversation with our our president and co-founder, Brian Hicks. He loves he dividends. Went, yes. He, he loves dividends and he was shared with the audience a couple of the dividend stocks that he owns a lot of oil and gas stuff and it was funny we we posted it out on social media and got a lot of comments some of them were like weird uh but i I think there was a lot of questions and a lot of misconceptions about dividends so i kind of wanted to ask some more specific questions because i mean the basics are you know you own a company you have, you know, say you own 100 shares of, we were just talking about Disney, mm-hmm. and they pay X percent dividend. Mm-hmm. And whether it's a monthly or quarterly, sometimes they do yearly, you just get paid out that in dividends. Yeah. Correct? Yeah, exactly. So I guess the, I think the misconception too is a lot of people are thinking, oh, well, why should, if this, if I want to make money off of dividends, why shouldn't I just pick a stock that has the highest current dividend yield? Right, like, right. So he talked about, oh, this one's at 8%, and people were like, oh, well, this one's at 12%, but it's a little bit more complicated than that. Well, yeah, so, I mean, it definitely is, and there's um, there's things that, that dividend investors call yield traps, right? And that's basically, it's a company that has a high yield, but, you know, you're not going to make money off of it because, yeah, they're going to pay you 12% a year, but the stock price falls by, like, 24% a year. So, like, net, you're down. Um, you know, and those are yield traps and it's that, that, that big percentage, you know, people see that and they're like, wow, that's awesome. I want to get that. But the thing is with dividends is that, that yield, that percentage that they show is, is what the annual dividend is as a percentage of the current stock price, right? So if the company was paying, you know, $1 a share and it had a hundred dollar stock price, then, you know, you've got a 1% dividend yield. Right. Now, if that same company's stock price drops down to 10 and its dividend hasn't been cut yet and it's still a dollar, well, that looks like a really awesome, you know, 10% like dividend there. But, you know, the company also just lost 90% of its value. Yeah. So, you know, those are some of the some of the um, companies with a high dividend yield have that high dividend yield because they were paying big dividends when they were worth a lot of money and they haven't cut their dividend yet. Right. Exactly. So it's it's probably more likely that not only has the share price dropped, mm-hmm. but 
that's usually because the company's struggling right. and Revenues they are, are dropping, not, profits yeah, and are dropping. they're likely to see a dividend yeah. cut because they only, I mean, what's... Well, and you that's know, the thing is that if everybody's buying this stock because of that high dividend yield, when they do finally cut the dividend, man, if you thought the stock price had fallen a bunch before, just wait. You right. know, it's going to crash. Right. So, and they can, I mean, pretty much at any time a dividend or a company can cut its dividend. Yeah. Um, I, I know they try not to go from like, you know, zero to, you know, or like, you know, 5% to zero. They'll try right. to like slowly cut, especially if do. they're known. Or they'll suspend it. You know, they'll be like, we're going to suspend the dividend because, you know, we're just not sure if we're going to have the profits to pay it this year. Um, you know, so like a lot of times they'll do that, but then, you know, those suspensions like last, you know, forever. Um, but yeah, there's only one kind of company in the market that actually can't stop paying a dividend. And it's my favorite kind of company. It's actually, I'm pretty sure it's one of Brian's favorite kind of companies too. And they're real estate investment trusts. Okay. Yeah. So those are the ones where they're, they're basically legally obligated to they pay are. you. They are legally obligated. So they're, um, a real estate investment trust is technically not a company. Right. Right. It's it's not like your traditional like incorporated or LLC or whatever. It's it's a completely different structure. And basically, you know, they have a lot of rules that they have to follow. They have to have a certain number of shareholders outside of like you know the immediate insiders of the company. Um, you know, they have to uh, the majority of their assets have to be invested into some form of real estate, be it buildings or land or you know farmland, whatever. Um, but the really cool part about it is that by law they have to pay out. 90% of their pre-tax profits to shareholders. And so that's one of the reasons that they have to have so many shareholders outside of the insiders so that like you can't just use this structure to make yourself rich. Gotcha. You know, and you, you can you still got to be sharing that. And it's really like it was basically the the idea behind it was to to sort of democratize real estate investment back in the 1930s. You know, it was really difficult to invest in real estate. Only super rich people could. But like, you know, if you can scrape together 10, 15, 20 dollars, you can buy a share of a real estate investment, like a real estate investment trust. And then technically you are invested in that real estate. You are a partial owner of the real estate that they own and they're obligated to pay you, you know, those dividends that they get or some of the some of the revenue that they get from renting that real estate out. You know, it's like being a landlord, but not having to deal with tenants. Yeah. And you can buy these on the stock market just oh, yeah. like any they other trade stock just like any other public company you know but they they have to follow somewhat different rules in order to maintain that REIT status and the nice thing for the company about the REIT status is that because they're paying out so much of their pre-tax profits to investors they don't have to pay taxes they don't have to pay taxes right you so know, that's so, kind of the deal yeah. yeah yeah so if they do cut their dividend then all of a sudden they lose that favorable status and you know their tax bill goes up and nobody likes to pay taxes now everybody Everybody's started trying the whole to, country trying to not pay taxes. Yeah, everybody's uh, trying to limit that tax liability while still getting the income. Yep. Um, so that actually brings up uh, something else we talked about, which is another. So Brian talks about you know getting a check every month for yep. these companies that he owns. He, I asked him, I was like, "Do you physically get a check?" He was like, "Yeah, I physically get a check." I'm yeah. like, "Really? You don't have that like direct really cool. deposit?" I think it's just you know. You know, I, if it was me, it's super old school. I mean, if you yeah. actually, so most people, most people invest in stocks through a brokerage, you know, like an E-Trade or a Fidelity or something like that. And when you do that, technically you don't own the stock. Fidelity or E-Trade will go out and buy the stock for you. And it's held in what's known as street name. So 
E-Trade, according to the stock market, owns that stock. And then they've sort of got like a spreadsheet in the background and they're like, oh, Jason Williams owns this much of it. And Jason Freer owns this much of it. And, you know, like Tom, you know, he owns like this percentage of it. But really, it's all in their account. Right. So in those cases, usually the money just goes like just gets directly deposited like electronically into your brokerage. account. Right. Um, but when you actually buy the stock from the company through their transfer agent, um, which we were talking about this earlier also. And I mentioned that CompuShare is mm-hmm. a big transfer agent and they do a lot of these programs for, for most of the big companies out there on like the NASDAQ, the S&P 500, the Dow. Um, they handle these programs and basically you can go and you can buy stock directly from the company. So you're not buying it from some guy on the market who used to own it and now wants to sell it. You're buying it from the company. It's new shares. You know, the company's releasing them. The company's getting money back. And then you actually own that stock. And that's probably where Brian's getting those checks. You know, those physical, because those those ones actually come as physical checks. Right. They get mailed to you every month, quarter, annually, however often the company pays those dividends. And I mean, they're awesome. You know, it's great to get those checks, especially, you know, if you're not... if you don't have, you know, if you don't have a job, if you're retired, you know, if you're, you know, on hiatus, um, you know, or you just need a little bit of extra income, extra income always comes in handy. Yeah. And if you're using that to supplement your income or as your income, that's one of the reasons you want a stable company that has a history. You don't want to go chasing those high yields. Exactly. has a history of paying that dividend. And so raising that dividend. Is ra- That's the really important part is raising that dividend because the stock price is going to follow that dividend too. If they keep hiking the dividend, that stock price is going to keep going up too. Yeah, that's uh, – so, you know, take a 6% dividend that has paid out a dividend for the last 15, 20 years mm-hmm. over some stock that has gotten crushed because maybe they're in a business where, you know, they might – you know, they might not be around for too much longer right. and they have a 12% dividend, yeah. but, you know, they might I mean, only have a 12% dividend for the next three months and then you're looking at nothing. No, exactly. Like Blockbuster might have been paying like a 50% <laughs> dividend, but, you know, it's not paying it anymore. And like anybody who had any, you know, shares of Blockbuster, you know, like the equity holders lost out entirely when the company went under. Our, our young uh, people might not even know who Blockbuster. Sarah, do you know what, what Blockbuster is? Well, right, she's giving me a weird There's one look. Blockbuster left in the world, and it's like famous. There's a show about it now. You know, um, <laughs> gotta go get a picture there. Take a vacation there. They had a really great Twitter feed for a while. They were like, "How do we get Blockbuster and chill to become a thing?" You know, hashtag uh, you know last Blockbuster on Earth. Um, but so, yeah, you know, I mean, like that's exactly you're exactly right. That's why you want to get these big stable companies, you know, that have a history of paying their dividends steadily, and also have a history of raising it steadily. Yeah, that's awesome when it ra- when it raises. I mean, you're making a thousand dollars a month or a quarter, and then all of a sudden you're making twelve hundred. Oh, it's great. Uh, my in-laws actually the the sort of oil and gas side of that um, I believe is called an MLP. Yeah, a lot MLP of times master kind of limited like, kind of par- like real partnership investment trust. Yeah, I think they operate kind of in the same thing where ninety yeah, percent of the so that's where and that's what like Brian. I think some of those might technically be MLPs. I don't know I would the imagine exact. They are. Um, There's a lot of those in the oil and gas industry. Yeah, most of those companies pay dividends too. You know, and, and I mean, I like a company that pays dividends because you know basically what that says is the company's decided like okay, you know, like we've reinvested into our growth as much as we can, and we don't think that our shareholders are going to get, 
you know, as much value out of us reinvesting any more as they would get out of us just giving them a share of the profits. And then they can do with it whatever they want to. And one of the things we were talking about earlier was like, you know, you know, Brian gets these checks, but you don't have to get checks. You can actually have the company reinvest that money into more shares for you. So, you know, with more shares you get, the more dividends you accumulate. And so, you know, if you don't need that cash right now, then you can just sort of let it keep like rolling. Yeah, I don't. It's like a snowball going downhill. And it's it's bigger and bigger. It's amazing how many people don't know that. So if you're, I'm assuming, um, you know, if you have an online brokerage, it's just something that you, you know, contact your online. I mean, it's probably in the interface, but if you're using Mm -hmm. that copy share, you'd have to basically just call them up. Yeah, you literally call them up. You give them your account number off uh, the statement that you get when you get your dividend check. And you're like, hey, look, you know, I got these shares and I'm getting these checks, but I'd honestly like to get into a dividend reinvestment program with them. Um, You know, you still have to pay taxes on the dividends. I think it's a 15%, you know, tax on dividends, which is great because that's lower than most people's income taxes. Um, you know, so that's nice. You're getting this income, but you're not actually paying like that high income right now. You know, if some people have their way, you might be paying a higher tax on them. But yeah, so I mean, that's great if you don't need that money right now for income and say maybe you're five to 10 years away from retirement Mm -hmm. and you just say, hey, I want to invest this now and grow your and then that then you have that much more of a base for when you actually want to start receiving that as yeah. income. You know, down so the line. I mean say you own, you know, like a uh, 100 shares and you're getting, you know, uh, like a couple hundred dollars a year, you know, um, from from your shares. Or let's say you own 100 shares and you're getting $1000 a year. Um, you know, if you're just reinvesting that in, say you're getting that $1000 a year, you own 100 shares of a $100 company and you're getting $1000 a year, you know, that's not a really high dividend, but that's 10 extra shares every year. So, you know, you do that for, for 10 years and you've got 100 extra shares. So now you own 200 shares. And, and it's likely the getting, share price has gone up as well. Yep. The share price has probably gone up. The dividend, if it was a good company that grows their dividend, has probably gone up too. So now you're getting like $3,000, $4,000 a year in your dividends. You do that for another 10 years and all of a sudden, like, you know, you're getting like a good monthly income that you could literally live off of. And I, I mean, that's my goal. Like, I want to be able to have income streams that I can live off of. I love what I do here, but like, I'd like to, I like making money when I'm not working too, you know? Absolutely. It, you know, it's funny. There was a news article out, I think last week. Um, I forget where it was, but it said, it talked about Charlie Munger. Okay. And I think there's a lot of news because they just had the Berkshire Hathaway meeting right, and right. all that kind of stuff. And he must have said it at the meeting. But basically, the the story is he invested, I think, $1,000. I forget what company it was in 1968. Okay. And he now makes $70,000 per year off in dividends. Yeah. Okay. So I, I forget what the stock was. We'll have to figure it out. But – um, that's incredible. Obviously, you know, 1968 is a while ago it and a thousand dollars in 1968 is, you know, uh, you know, a lot more is probably more like, right. I don't know, like $10,000 now, but, but still a relatively, less than 70. right. A relatively, um, small investment yep. now is he's earning in dividends more than the average income, you know, mm-hmm. in the United States. Yeah. Yeah. So it's just I think that's like the median household income in the area. Yeah, it's like 50. At, yeah, it's like know? 55. Or I, I don't know what it is. But yeah, yeah it's, it's insane. So, you know, you mentioned this before earlier about the idea of like everybody wants to 
hey, I want to get rich quick. Yeah, I got to get rich tomorrow. Yeah, you know? and it's I don't just blame you. I'd like to be rich tomorrow. Yeah, I mean great, everybody. You know? Everybody does. I'd like to be rich yesterday. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, if it was if it was that easy, everybody would be doing it. Yeah, exactly. So I think a lot of people fall into this trap of like, oh, well, what do you mean? I got to put up ten thousand yep. dollars to earn this, or I gotta, I can't use that money. I need it for other stuff. Um, it, if you just put a small amount away into these dividend stocks, and especially if you're doing a reinvestment program mm -hmm. in you know a year, two, five years, you're gonna look back and be like, oh wow, wow. okay. Yeah, you're gonna be really impressed. I did you know just a study just to satisfy my own curiosity. It was probably like you know, two or three years ago. I think yeah, it was in 2020. You know everything was locked down. I had extra time on my hands. You know I was like taking online courses and just like modeling stuff and like trying to figure out you know what was going on and and just you know just just i, I like data i like numbers you know I, I i love this stuff i love finance and so i took three stocks that were what i consider to be household names back in 2010 it was apple uh microsoft and uh broadcom right and so broadcom might be the one that maybe wasn't quite a household name but like people probably knew about it but microsoft and apple like everybody knew about those yeah. two right and so what i did with my model was i put ten thousand dollars into each one of these companies and then i added one thousand dollars a year to each of those companies for 10 years right so over the course of 10 years if you include my initial ten thousand dollar investment plus the um, $1,000 a year for 10 years, that's $20,000 I put into it. Apple, that position was worth something like $250,000. Um, the Microsoft one didn't come up as much. It was worth around $170,000. The Broadcom one was worth like $450,000 because they just, you know, they, they did really, really well. Their stock price went up a bunch. But, you know, like these are household names. These are not, you know, secret stocks that nobody knew about. And you would, you could have literally, if you, if you just stayed in Apple for 10 years, stuck to a schedule of putting $1,000 in a year, um, didn't try to time the investments or anything like that, you could have turned $20,000 into a house. You know, like, yeah, it's that's insane. like turning a roller skate into a Lamborghini. It's amazing, you know, and, and like, that's the power of these dividends, you know, because all of those companies paid, and Apple didn't even start paying dividends until partway through that, you know? So yeah, that's crazy. It's, it's really impressive, the power of, of the, the power that dividends can have. And I think, look, the small stocks are exciting. I get it. And, yeah, they are. you know, you want to, you know, we, we try to make the distinction here um, between sort of what we call investing and speculating. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. Speculating is fine. Oh, totally um, fine. I, you know, and I think, you know, you can make some really huge returns in a short period of time you if you sort can. of get in front of the trend. Yep. But I think even the people, um, let's, we have them here. Um, that take a look at these, they're not suggesting or themselves either putting like a hundred percent of their net worth no. into these, these no, plays. I think the majority of people's portfolios here and what we put out is in some of these safer, uh, you know, dividend players, you can still, you know, beat the market and do well, you know, picking those, but there's kind of, you know, there's these other like sort of moonshots as we call them. Right. Um, and you know, they uh you can make 10x in a yeah. very short period of time yep. so it seems to be that you know you just want to make sure that you really aren't putting you know 
all your money into these things and yeah. thinking that and that's i think where you talk about the get rich quick right definitely definitely you know? and, and i mean every single editor here uh, i'm pretty sure every single person you know who, who gives uh gives you know um i don't want to say gives investment because we don't give personalized investment right. advice but every single editor here has you know a, at least one quadruple digit gain some of us have right. multiple um but the thing is you know it's kind of like you know, some people like to go to Vegas. Some people like to buy lottery tickets, you know, and like you can win a lot of money in Vegas and, you know, you can win a lot of money at the lottery. Somebody just won like the mega millions jackpot for like a billion dollars or something. You know, that's tons of money. But the thing is, is all of the other people who played didn't win. And yeah. like, look at the size of the casinos in Vegas. Look at how lavish the appointments are there. Like you really think that they're not making money you know you really think that everybody's winning when they go to vegas like they're not and so like but that's okay you know because like you can have fun you know it's enjoyable you know some people like to uh some people like to go skydiving you know some people like to climb mountains those those involve a lot of risk too you know um so yeah it's i mean okay if you, to take some risk yeah and if you're comparing you know taking a flyer on um you know, a not unprofitable company that has a new technology, your odds are actually much higher in the market than it is at the craft table or, oh, totally. you know, all that kind of stuff. So you have a little bit of that advantage in there. It's just, you don't just the same way. And some people do this. You don't take, you know, your life savings and go to Vegas. You know, you yeah. take a portion. Hey, uh, I, I, you know, if I I'm come spend, back with yeah. none of this, I'll still right. Be happy. I'm going to take a thousand dollars. I'm going to play some games or whatever. Mm -hmm. If mm -hmm. I lose it all, it doesn't affect me. I had a good time. If I win, then that's great and it's a bonus. So the same sort of way, that's the same sort of, in my opinion, the way to look at some of these um, these high flyers yeah. that that yeah. we're looking and that's at. A, that's exactly how I set up my own investments. You know, I've got my retirement account over here. You know, and I contribute to it regularly and, you know, I invest in, in dividend paying companies that grow their dividends, um, you know, but I don't, I don't I don't put any of those, you know, speculative stocks in there because that's the money that I like. I got to have that, you know, because I don't want to work forever. I love working, but, you know, eventually I'm just not going to be able to. Um, or, you know, AI is going to take my job from me, <laughs> you know, something like that. But, um, you know, so like that money's over here. And then there's another account where, you know, it's like extra money. It's like, this is sort of like fun money, you know, like maybe, you know, instead of, uh, instead of going on an extra vacation this year, you know, I, I take that 5,000 and I split it up amongst, you know, five penny stocks that I think have really good potential, um, that I think are going to just like grow and become giants in the next few years. And but but the thing is, is if I lose that five thousand mm -hmm. dollars, you know, in the greater scheme of things, that's not that big of a deal. Right. You know, um, in, in like the, the the big, big lifetime picture, like, yeah, five thousand would be nice to have. But, you know, that, you know, hundred thousand, that two hundred thousand, that retirement account, that's yeah. what I need to live off of. Right. And, and that's you only need one need of them. And like you only need one of those. Uh, you know, to, to take off to really have some oh, outsized true. returns there. So, true. you know, sort of it's like, you know, having a lottery ticket, I guess, you know what I mm -hmm. mean? You only spend a dollar or $10 or whatever the Powerball is and you can make some outsized right. returns. But it's better than a lottery ticket, right? Because like if your lottery ticket doesn't hit, you can't sell it back, <laughs> right? But if after like a few years, you know, your stock hasn't hit, well, you can sell it back and you might've lost some money, but you yeah. lose all of it. You know, with the lottery ticket, you lost all of it. Whoever yeah, and it's finite. Back. There's always a chance some of these uh, plays can get 
picked back up and acquired mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. all that all that kind of stuff. So. Oh yeah, definitely, definitely. You know, I've seen. I mean, you know, uh, the market's cyclical. And uh, right now we've, you know, before we were in one of these, you know, low interest rate, basically zero interest rate, which is, you know, a company sees that and they're like, why free money? You know, and that goes for institutional investors too. They're like, hey, wait, like I can borrow money and not pay interest on it. Oh man, like I'm going to put 10,000 of my own dollars in and a million years. Yeah, that's, uh, we've had this conversation around the office too about interest rates and savings accounts and stuff like that. So, you know, going back to the dividends, how would, what's it, Apple is now saying, hey, we'll give you Mm 4.6%. A lot of these, like I just called my bank a couple of months ago and was just like, what's up? And they're like, oh, we have this new where it'll give you like 3.9. I probably, you know, and that was a couple of months ago. Maybe it'd be higher now. That's probably up to four or something Yeah, so these banks, so... When you look at that, um, you know, how does that affect the market in terms of trying to invest in a dividend stock or something income? Like, you know, granted, that's still not beating inflation. Right. So, um, you know, what rate, what effect does those interest rates kind of have on? It definitely is tough on the uh, on the income investments. Right. So um, utility stocks are, you know, notorious dividend payers. You know, they they always call them like the best stocks for orphans and widows, you know, because they're pretty steady. They don't really go up or down that much, but they steadily pay those dividends. So you get that income to pay your bills with. But the thing is, you know, when um, a bank account is yielding 4% or, you know, short term treasuries, I think the six month treasuries are up around 5%, you know, and there's literally no risk to those. You know, you're guaranteed to get your money back from the bank. You're guaranteed to get your money back from the government. Well, hopefully um, guaranteed. Yeah, true. <laughs> um, there's a lot of things that they can stop paying before they pay. They stop paying those bills, though. You know, I mean, like in my opinion, I think that if we can't reach an agreement on the debt ceiling, they should just send Congress home and not pay them any arrears. Yeah. You know, and be like, look, once you guys like, you know, can come to the table and come to an agreement, we'll pay you again. But until then, no. Yeah, it seems to be a lot of fear out there about the debt ceiling, um, kind of similar to, you know, this feels like a lot like the 2011, 2012 kind mm-hmm. of arena where we kind of came out of the, the 2008, 2009 situation, but people are still now back then, they just kind of started printing a lot more money mm-hmm. um, doesn't seem like that's really an option no. right now. No, definitely not. I mean, it could be, but I, I, I'm sure that, you know, like that, that, that politicians would like it to be and would do it, you know, if, if, uh, if they could get enough support to do it. Um, but yeah, I mean, printing tons of money is part of what causes inflation to grow because, you know, I mean, the more dollars you have chasing something, then, you know, like the higher the cost of that thing is going to be. And it's just it's it's just basic economics, and unfortunately, they don't teach that in school anymore. It doesn't so, seem like they do. No, no. I mean, that used to actually literally be part of the home economics courses. Everybody's like, oh, that's where girls learn to bake and clean and take care of a husband. No, like that's where you learn how to balance a checkbook, and like you learn about like interest rates, and you you learn about like the actual economics of a household. You know, and learning the economics of the household teaches you a lot about the economics of the world, you know, because they're all pretty much the same, you know, the same rules. Yeah, it seems like that is being taught less and less just, you know, in... It's being taught on TikTok now. Yeah, yeah. By people who have questionable, very (laughs) questionable ideas about, like, you know, 
what can be a tax deduction. Like I saw a bunch of TikTokers talking about like, oh, if you're in a medical cannabis state, then like all of the weed you buy is a medical expense and you can deduct that from your taxes. And you know what? You most certainly cannot deduct that from your taxes. It is not a, that's like your gym membership. They're like, yeah, your gym membership, that's a medical expense too. I'm like, well, going to the gym may make you healthier. It is not a medical expense. And you could definitely get in trouble with 87,000 new IRS agents coming out to audit <laughs> people like you and me. Yeah, absolutely. That, um, you know, the, some of that stuff out there is definitely questionable. We'll probably post this on on TikTok too, oh so maybe people can <laughs> people can people can uh, hit us in the comments. And um, right. it is kind of amazing when you you post that stuff out there on social media, and you know the conviction that people have about things that are just totally just totally wrong. Mm -hmm. um, and that's why we just you know at the end of the day, it's like we're providing this information, but it's like you need to dig into this stuff yourself oh, and that's yeah. basically like i mean we're just sort of like hitting the tip of the iceberg there's so much more to know about it and so much more to learn about it right exactly and everybody you know people got a limited amount of time so that's what we hope to provide is you know a little bit of steering in the right direction mm -hmm. um everybody's got different goals and different you know time frames right. you know different risk tolerances different risk tolerances we mm -hmm. talked about that earlier um i did want to switch gears to talk about maybe something i wouldn't say a little bit more risky but a little bit more high potential and that's you know the lithium craze oh, yeah. that has been going on um there was a 60 minutes um did you did you see the 60 minutes about the lithium valley i, I caught some clips from it. okay yeah, yeah. Lithium yeah. valley california yeah so it's exciting it, and we've been talking about lithium for i mean forever now yeah, because it's just time. you know the electrification of you know particularly electric cars but just everything that yeah, has everything. batteries now i mean because technically we've been like the lithium mining industry has been around since like the 1970s 1960s you know like the lithium ion battery was invented in the 1970s I think the guy whose name was like Good Good Day. I want to say it was Good Day or Good Night or Good Fellow. It was Good Something. He made a good battery for sure. Um, and uh, anyway, like ever since then, like that's been you know like the the best way to power electronic devices. Um, but you know, it really wasn't until this the, you know the EV craze started that like people really started paying attention to lithium. And the thing is, is yeah, they they use a lot of lithium in EV batteries, but like your cell phone battery, you know, the batteries in like you know if these were if these were uh, wireless mics. Oh yeah, everything. Them, anything that's wireless has a lithium battery in it. Yeah, it's it's interesting. The focus is seems to be on electric cars. Um, and look, I mean, a battery that's in an electric car is like huge compared that's to your, your cell phone or laptop oh, battery. But there's like, you know, a thousand times more devices out there that are using these in small quantities, but mm -hmm. it adds up. So mm -hmm. the demand is just nuts. And um, obviously, so it seems like the two, you know, the Lithium Valley, um, you know, 60 Minutes thing talked about this place out in California. You know, it's U.S. focused. It's, mm -hmm. you know... Um, talked about the different technologies that they use to um, extract the lithium because it's like kind of a, it's not like gold mining or something right, where you're right. just digging for it. So like right now, the majority of the lithium that we get to make into batteries comes like from a form of mining that's kind of like gold mining where you're digging up dirt and putting a whole bunch of dirt into a machine and then subjecting it to really harsh chemicals to strip right. everything else out and then you get this fine lithium powder on the mm -hmm. other side and that's what they send off to you know the the I, mean, I hate to say it but to the chinese companies to right. make the batteries with <clears throat> yeah excuse me um but uh 
the majority of the planet's lithium is actually held in what's known as brine deposits. And that's what they're talking about with this lithium valley thing. It's the Salton Sea in yeah. California. And so the Salton Sea used to be like, uh, it used to be a vacation area um, for, for people in California back in the day. And uh, I forget what happened, but like basically like it, it's sort of like was drying up, like and yeah. people stopped coming out there and, you know, like, like birds were getting sick. I don't know, but like um, it's basically, it's, it's really, really salty water. Gotcha. Um, and that's what brine is. Brine is really, really salty water. And uh, lithium can form in salts. You know, everything, like all of the minerals, you know, out there can sort of form in salts. And like we think of salt as like, you know, the stuff that you put on your food. But like a salt is it's the it's the chemical structure, the way that the that the molecules are all bound together. And I won't get into any of the details because I won't get them right. And my parents, who are both scientists, would get very upset <laughs> with me for that. Um, but basically, it's the way that like they're they're bonded together and um, it can be dissolved in water. Once it gets dissolved in water, it becomes brine. And something like 70 percent of the world's lithium is held in uh, in brine. Well, it seems like they're in, you know, down in South America, they got these huge, I guess you would call them ponds. Yeah. And they're just sort of waiting for the it to evaporate that so they exactly can kind what of. what they're doing. Yeah. So they it takes. all of this brine in there and it starts out sort of like a, like a, like a light bluish color. And then like as the sun does its magic over about the course of like two to three years. Yeah. It sucks all of that water out, and then you get the lithium and the other solids that were mixed in there with it, and then you subject it to some some pretty harsh chemicals to separate those other solids out, yeah. and then you get the lithium. But with that method, you only get about 40% of the lithium that's contained in the brine. Right. And like I said, it takes two years to evaporate it, and that's after you construct the ponds. Yeah. And natural you, ponds or anything. Yeah, and you need, I guess, a climate where it's not like – Rain, <laughs> right, raining where it's super like, dry yeah you know so, so it's uh it's 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 pretty rough i mean it takes up a lot of space um it takes up a lot of water and as you said you need a pretty dry climate so you're in places that don't have a lot of water so you're using what little water they have to make this lithium mm -hmm. and you know so that's why I, I don't see that happening at this lithium valley california at the salton sea i mean like californians could literally have all the green energy they wanted to if they hadn't shut down all but one of their nuclear power plants because of environmental concerns right. so i totally can't see them being like yeah let's have a hundred acre lithium pond you know and like let's just let it evaporate we'll leave some toxins in the soil it'll run off into the groundwater yeah. everything will be fine right you know so like in order for this to be developed we need these new technologies and i think they were talking about some of them in yeah, the, uh, so in the I, 60 I, minute special yeah they, i guess they have a geothermal power plant uh -huh. there that they're saying basically they're injecting the brine, and then they kind of they use that, and then it. I, I don't know. You've well, been I mean, researching that's sort of how geothermal works, right? So like, it's really interesting because geothermal heat is kind of like fracking. It's kind of like getting brine, and how you get brine is the brine's down in reservoirs underground, and so in order to pressurize those reservoirs, you pump more water down into them, and it pushes you know, the stuff that was in them up. And that's how, you know, sort of how fracking works. You put the water down there and it sort of like, it, it pressurizes the rock and fractures it and cracks it open. Um, and uh, that's how geothermal works where you've got hot water down there in the, in the, the earth's crust. And so you pump 
cool water down there and it forces the hot water up, you use that as heat and then you continue the cycle and put it right back down into the ground. So you're already pulling this hot water up. There's a lot of lithium in this hot water. So it's like, hey, why not extract the lithium from it before we put it back in the ground? Right. Um, and then that, you know, that involves a, a technique um, that they're still sort of working on. There's a few companies out there that are pioneering it actually in the field, uh, especially down in South America in the lithium triangle where like, you know, the majority of the world's lithium is, is, is supposed to be. Um, and basically what it does is, is instead of evaporating the water off and like, you know, getting this sludge, what you're doing is you're almost sort of like dragging a magnet through the water and, and this magnet only picks up lithium, mm -hmm. you know, so it's, um, <clears throat> it's a solution that they put into it that attracts the lithium and doesn't attract anything else. So basically hmm. you can pull out then 99% of the lithium that's wow. available compared to 40% with the yeah. evaporation ponds. And it takes, uh, this is the crazy part, right? Two days at the longest, six hours at the quickest compared to two years with the lithium Yeah, ponds. that's nuts. So you're getting more than twice as much lithium out of it. Um, there's no extra minerals in there that you've got to separate from it. And you're doing it in two days instead of two years. I mean, it's just, it's going to be, it's a huge advancement. And it, it, like I said, it's one of those new technologies mm -hmm. that they're still sort of developing and working on. And like everybody sort of has their own method of doing it. Um, but it's like, you know, I, I use the, uh, the analogy of finding a needle in a haystack. And the easiest way to find a needle in a haystack is to put a magnet on a string. Right. You know, and then you're, you're not pulling out any hay with that magnet. You're only going to get that steel needle. Yeah, that's amazing. When, when I first heard you talking about this, um, it reminded me, so, you know, go back 2005, 2006, the um, oil, you know, oil was, we first started covering oil, you mm -hmm. know, we had, you know, predictions of $150 oil, because basically, you know, the world was running out of oil, mm -hmm. you know, the whole, the peak oil theory had it like the US was like just struggling. Yep. Um, it actually, I think, it ended up peaking around 140 something dollars a barrel at that time, but the the reason was the advent of fracking. Yeah. So hydraulic fracturing, you know, really came mainstream in 2007, 2008. Yep. And it was kind of like if that if not for that, I mean, who knows what oil would be at now? It would be crazy. And I mean, the U.S. was fortunate to. Um, we have lots of that tight oil. Exactly. So mm -hmm. it was a, a technological advancement that enabled just, you know, just a huge oil rush in the U.S. And now, you know, now they're doing it globally. Well, and it made, uh, it made the process more efficient, too. So that was where, like, things sort of backfired on OPEC. Right. Because like it was it was the Saudi led OPEC and they were like, we're going to crush these Americans. We're going to drop prices as low as possible. And then it turns out that like, you know, the Saudis and, and most of the OPEC countries, the majority of their GDP comes from oil. Right. So when oil prices. So, so basically, like they may have a, uh, a very low extraction price. Right. It may cost them like 15 or 20 dollars a barrel to get the oil out of the ground. But then they've got about like 60 to $80 worth of social programs tied to each one of those barrels of oil that they've got to support. So that makes their break-even price like, you know, closer to 100. And uh, that's to keep the, the populace US, the from frackers, you know, like their break even price was the cost of extracting the oil. So right. like if oil stayed above 25 bucks, they were fine. Yeah, they didn't have to keep a pot. Saudi Arabia has to keep a 
populace in line from revolting mm-hmm. against the... They got to keep the people happy. Yeah. So it, that was basically a huge change. Not a lot of people saw that coming. We were in early on yeah, it. and the Bakken I mean, Shale. Yeah, real yeah, early. And just absolutely crushed it in fr- hydraulic fracturing, you know, oil, oil sands technology, but mainly like, yeah, the Bakken. Um, and like the natural gas plays. Yep. So, I mean, is it fair to say this is very similar to I that so. sort of things? Because it's like all you hear is, oh, we need all this lithium yep. to, to run these things, blah, 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 blah. Um, so it seems like now's the time to get I mean, in on like basically this is like new frack, like this is fracking for lithium, I it, guess. It, it sort of is. And honestly, I think it could be bigger than that because like the one extra thing that you have tied onto this is that not only does it make lithium mining more efficient and more profitable, but it also makes it more um, econ- or, uh, environmentally friendly. Right. So it's more economically viable and it's more environmentally friendly. Yeah. Fracking. I mean, you know, there's a debate on that. Right. right? Whether or not it's, it's bad for the environment or, or whatever. Um, but I mean, you know, there's not much debate on whether or not burning fossil fuels is bad for the environment. You know, we can see the smoke come up when you inhale it, you cough like it can't be that good. Um, you know, so. Uh, but but this, it's literally, it's better for the environment. It's better for everybody. It's better for the people in the surrounding area. You don't have to use up their land to make those evaporation ponds. You don't have to steal their water, um, you know, to, to fill the evaporation ponds with. You don't have to worry about runoff because it's all done inside of a factory, you know, which can be built on site you know, and does not take up hundreds of acres. Um, it just makes everything, it, it makes everything better for all of the different stakeholders. And I know that like people are probably tired of hearing about stakeholder capitalism and stuff like that, but like you do sort of, you need to look out for, for, uh, for everybody. Right. Um, I always use the example of, um, BJ's wholesale club and Costco wholesale club, right? They're both publicly traded stocks. So you can, you can check out their performance and, and you can check me on this. Right. Um, <clears throat> but BJ's is kind of more like a Walmart. Right. Where they're like they hammer their suppliers and they try and get the lowest prices they possibly can. They have pretty high uh, employee turnover. Um, Their revenue per employee is not that impressive. But then you go to Costco and Costco works with its suppliers and it works with the communities around it. And it has incredible employee retention. And uh, I think it's revenue per employee, something like seventeen thousand dollars per employee, which is like super impressive when you think about, you know, like how how many employees they have, you know? Um, but a story that, I've, that I love to tell about Costco is Costco, you know, they, they negotiate hard too with their suppliers, but they negotiated this guy, this supplier down to like a ridiculously low price. And uh, they went back, you know, and they were like celebrating, but they were also calculating and they were like, wait a minute, this guy's not making a profit. And so they called the guy the next day and they were like, look, we need to renegotiate the price. And he's like, I can't, I can't go down any lower. I will go out of business. And they were like, we know. We want to pay you more because we want a long-term relationship with you. You know, we don't want to put you out of business, you know, just because you want a big customer. So we're going to pay you a little bit more money so that you can make a profit, so that you can grow your business and you can be a long-term partner of Costco. Yeah, and that's long-term the thinking. difference between their stock prices, Costco has outperformed BJ's. Uh, by leaps and bounds. I personally am a Costco member. You're I Costco like it a lot. I, I got the membership card. That Kirkland brand, man. That's some good <laughs> stuff. But I definitely like it a lot better than BJ's for sure. Uh-huh, um, uh-huh. And they got both in my uh, in my town. So okay, all right. All right. Well, I mean, it sounds like um, you know lithium 
you know, the fracking for lithium, as I was called, Man, is, I'm excited is about a, it. Yeah, is a big. I've been hearing more about it. Like I said, now it seems to be like kind of the turning point when it's on 60 Minutes. I remember when they were doing that on uh, like the you know the oil sh- the Bakken and the mm-hmm. the fracking stuff. It you know you, you want to get in before the mainstream sort of like picks up on yep. it. Yep. And um, well, and that's know. the cool thing is right now you know um, I was just talking a little bit earlier about somebody was asking about like who's the biggest you know lithium miner in the country. And I was like oh it's kind of funny that's actually also the biggest lithium miner in the world this company Albemarle. Mm-hmm. But one thing Albemarle is not really you're working on in the field yet is this new type of extraction. And it's because big companies like that, you know, like they they don't like to take risks on new technologies. They want to see other companies, you know, implement it. They want to see how successful they are. And then, hey, we've got billions of dollars. We'll just buy this other company and use that technology. You know, so you're still at a point where these big players haven't really gotten in on the game yet. And it's all, you know, smaller, mid-sized companies that are, that, you know, they've basically they've got less to lose. So they're like, hey, you know, maybe this will let us catch up to those guys and uh you know that's the really exciting part right so the companies you're looking at are the smaller players that have developed this technology and are potentially um you know uh, buyout targets for these bigger guys yeah definitely and what's really cool about the lithium industry and it's also pretty cool about you know just about any mining or extraction uh natural resource extraction industry is that they say the best place to find a good gold mine is right next to a good gold mine because like resources don't respect boundaries that are set by man Right. So, you know, if your neighbor has a bunch of gold on his property, chances are you got a bunch of gold on yours. If there's oil right here, there's probably going to be oil right next to it. And if there's like a bunch of billion dollar lithium companies right here and your location's right there, dude, you're going to be a billion dollar lithium company one day. And so, you know, that's what's really neat about it is you can find these little companies on a map and be like, hey, man, they're right next to, you know, POSCO, this, you know, like like $5 billion South Korean giant. They're right next to like uh, Livent um, that just got acquired by, um, shoot, I forget, uh, Alcom uh, in like a, a multi-billion dollar transaction. You know, like, hey, like if these guys have good assets right there, then a couple miles south, they're probably still good assets. You know, so that's what's really neat about this is you can go and you can, you know, find these small companies and it's not quite like those lottery tickets we were talking about earlier, the risk is sort of mitigated by the fact that they are already right next to, you know, uh, a peer that has very deep pockets and that's already been very successful in that area. So, you know, either they're going to be very successful in that area or the peer with the deep pockets is going to be like, hey, thanks for developing that. Let me buy it from you. Gotcha. You and know? you're... Um... And these companies get bought at like 50, 60, 70% premiums, like yeah. probably higher these days, to That's be nuts. honest. Yeah. And these are these are the companies that you're looking at in future giants. Yeah, service. that's my small cap uh, yeah. investment advisory yeah. service. Yeah, so completely sort of different than the dividend well, yep. and and sort of income-driven plays of the Wealth Advisory. Right, that's what I look at in the Wealth Advisory. And actually, Albemarle is a holding of ours in the Wealth Advisory. You know, um, we're up triple digits on it. It yeah. pays us a steady uh, steady dividend. That's awesome. You know, it's a great company. Cool. Well, what we'll do is we'll put a link in the description on how uh, people can join Future Giants. Yeah, and we you might... know, I actually have a whole report on this. Okay, we'll put that in the description. That I'd love for everybody to read. Yeah, we'll put that in the description. People can learn about this technology. I'm like pretty excited about it. It seems cool. And yeah, I'm going to go check that out. And uh, because, yeah, some of these, you know, if it is anything like the fracking boom, like mm-hmm. people are going to clean up. Oh, yeah. So I, I expect it to be very similar. 
All right. Well, that about wraps it up. And uh, thanks again for uh, yeah, of course. Joining. Thanks for having me. Yep. On. It's always I'm, good to be around another Jason. Uh, absolutely. We got to support each other. Yep. Make <laughs> sure you subscribe, like to uh, just subscribe. I don't even subscribe. care if you like it. Just yeah. subscribe to the to the podcast. I mean, I prefer um, a thumbs up than a thumbs down. But, yeah, yeah. You know, no, thumbs up are good. Yeah, or comment. You can comment if it's on YouTube. You can comment. Yeah, and even like you know, even snarky comments. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I appreciate a good snarky comment. Yeah, That's why good. Not? Let's I make them sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Thanks for joining us. Goodbye. <laughs>